If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. I'm going to read a few verses in the 21st chapter, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 26. I'm thankful for Brother and Sister Frizzell. I don't know how long they're going to get to be here, but we want to hear from them before they leave. My wife has just given me bits and pieces from Facebook of revival in Cambodia. One service, I forgot how many, uh, 20-something, 30-something people received the Holy Ghost. And what exciting news. And we're glad that they're going to be here. Good to have my brother home tonight. He will be going to Turkey in about three weeks. And our church is going to help sponsor that going to Turkey and then coming back to Europe and doing a family seminar for our missionaries and families and then back in the States. And then later in the summer, he's going to China again. They've asked him to come back to China. I'm going to try to get on his circuit. I don't know. That just sounds exciting to me. Amen. Anybody want to go to China? I would. I mean, I would like to go just to see the revival. God's doing a phenomenal work over there. A lot of places uh, that God is working, and I am thankful that we're a part of that. So when you give to missions, that's where it's going. It's going to further the work of God in those areas. Matthew chapter 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, Unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples. I think most of you are aware they went into the city. They were to find a colt, and they were to bring that back to him. Skipping down to verse number 8, he comes into the city of Jerusalem. The Bible said, In a great multitude, a very great multitude, spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when, we, when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Now going to Matthew chapter 26. We pick up in verse number 39. The scene has changed. He is now in the garden called Gethsemane. And verse number 39 says, And he went a little farther. And fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And everybody said, Amen. You're probably wondering what in the world do those two texts have to do with one another. Well, I'm going to tell you simply, it's the difference between Sunday and Wednesday. Amen. And the difference can make a difference. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. 
There's something about both of these passages of Scripture that are deeply moving to me because of the picture that they paint for my mind. First of all, we have the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This was the beginning of the end. And what a time it was. The Bible says there was a very great multitude. I didn't understand that until I was reading and doing some research. And I found out that 30 years after this particular time, the Roman governor took a census of the number of lambs that were slain in Jerusalem on this particular occasion. And 30 years after this event, they counted or calculated that there were approximately a quarter of a million lambs that were slain. Now, according to the law and the Jewish custom, there were to be a minimum of 10 people per lamb. So that means that on this particular occasion, there were perhaps in excess of two and a half million people in the city of Jerusalem on this occasion when he entered. And my, what an entry, riding on a colt that had never been ridden before. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to ride a horse that's never been ridden before, but that's not an easy thing to do. But there was something about him that was so majestic that when he sat on that unridden animal, it did not buck him, it didn't throw him, but it brought him into the throng of people. And the Bible says that his entry was such that the whole city was moved. Now, I don't know how many of you really grasp how many two and a half million people, but it's a lot more than we've got here tonight. (laughs) And it's amazing that in a church this size, some things people miss, but nobody missed that. Two and a half million people are more, and yet they all were aware that he was there. And what a day. And then you move just a few days from that and you find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's no place that you will find deeper passion or emotions than in the Garden of Gethsemane. What a paradox. On one day, he is, he is the attention of the multitude. On another day, he is alone and by himself in a prayer room. What a difference a few days can make in your life. What a difference. On Sunday, they're applauding him. On Wednesday, they don't even know where he's at. Our text confirms something to me tonight, that there is a world of difference between Palm Sunday and Gethsemane Wednesday. Now, I might mess with your theology tonight because most of us grew up thinking that this happened on Thursday, and it may have. But there's a good possibility, and there's 
great argument among some that the Garden of Gethsemane happened on a Wednesday. Well, whether Wednesday or Thursday, midweek is still midweek. Not a lot to be excited about. And yet, so much happened on that night that didn't happen on Sunday that the difference bears consideration. Palm Sunday is when all the shouts were Hosanna. Palm Sunday is when the crowd with its approval was acknowledging him. Palm Sunday is when life is strewn with palm branches and everything's going our way. And almost anyone can believe God on days like that. But when life passes from Sunday to Wednesday or Sunday to Thursday with the cross that is before you, with rejection that is looming, with prayers that are being unanswered, with hopes that are being dashed, even in his humanity, that prayer that if it be possible that this cup could pass from me. Everything within him was crying for that to be pushed away. Now is the real test of our faith. The real test of our faith does not come when everybody is applauding us. The real test of our faith does not come when everybody is laying down palm branches and making a way for us. The real test of our faith comes when we're alone in our own private agony and yet we find a way to pray through it all and come out of it victorious. The real test of life is not on Palm Sunday. The real test of life is in Gethsemane because that is where faith goes to pieces for some and it pulls others through. You see, Palm Sunday versus Gethsemane, it's a no-brainer. Which would you choose? When everybody's cheering you and people are applauding and they're doing things for you on that day that they normally wouldn't do for you, are moving to a day when hopes are dashed and prayers are denied and your blood is like, it, it, your sweat is like blood and evil forces are mounting their attack and for the moment it seems like you have lost and they've won. It seems like you have failed and they have triumphed over you. Do you or I have the kind of faith that can sustain us on a Wednesday or a Thursday? You see, this is what the Lord spoke to me last night. Palm Sundays do not produce Easter Sundays. It takes a Gethsemane to produce an Easter. 
Palm Sunday is when everything's going your way and everybody's on board and everybody agrees. And there's plenty of money in the bank and all your bills are paid and everything's going your way. My Lord, who cannot live for God in times like that? But the real test of my faith comes when I am pressed against the wall. And when I pray, but my prayers go unanswered, or I pray and they are denied. When I pray, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want to have to deal with this. I I don't want to have to drink this. What faith it takes to go through a Wednesday or a Thursday is different than the faith that is needed for a Palm Sunday when favor is on your side. You see, it really takes a Gethsemane kind of faith to see you through the dark days of life to victory. Amen. We will never find out what kind of character we have on Palm Sunday. But we will find it out on a gloomy Wednesday or a dark Thursday. Amen. Are you still with me? We will not find out what kind of person we are on a Palm Sunday. But we find out what kind of person we are when we come to the garden. It's easy to gloss things over when things are going well. We're all good at that. We can put a smile on. You don't even have to put a smile on. Everything's going well. It's easy to do that. When the boss is treating you right and when your wife and your your children are treating you right or your husband is treating you right or your neighbors are treating you right, everything's going your way. It's not hard to have a smile on your face. It's, it's not hard to believe and hang on to faith And live a life of faith. But it is in Gethsemane that we find out how much character that we have. We find out that we have character, not that we are a character. (laughs) Gethsemane. Here is the place where character is revealed and most severely tested. And it takes that night to reveal the stars. It takes Gethsemane to reveal the real character in our own life. The garden not only reveals our character, but it tests our loyalties. It finds out what we're devoted to, what we're committed to, what we have given ourselves to that is beyond ourselves Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus belonged to something bigger. He belonged to the will of God. And the will of God trumped the will of his flesh. I wonder sometimes what I am committed to. Am I committed to my creature comfort? Am I committed to living for God and worshiping God as long as he answers all of my prayers and as long as he fulfills all of my desires and he meets all of my needs? 
Can I live for God when I pray and my prayer is denied? Can I still rise and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, Palm Sunday doesn't determine what you're loyal to. Because if you had gauged his his popularity on Palm Sunday, there were two and a half million people that were cheering and clapping and in awe of who this was that came entering the city. But on Wednesday, when he was in the darkness of the garden, or on Thursday, whichever one you want to believe, when he was in the throes of wrestling with the will and the purpose of God, For not only his life, but our lives, we find out what he was committed to. And he was not committed to his feelings. He was committed to the faith that had brought him to that place. Only when we have that kind of element in us can we behave like him. When we have a sense of... Of connection to something that is bigger. We are committed to something. And we are connected to something. And that loyalty will not let us go back. How many times have I been tempted or you been tempted to go back. And the only thing that held us was a commitment that was deep down inside. That we made somewhere at an altar a long time ago. And we can't explain it. We don't know how to define it. We can't even put it in words. But it was that connection that kept us on our feet. And when everything around us was falling apart and everything around us was going wrong, there was a steadiness. There seemed to be something on us, a hand that steadied us even in the darkest hour that we would not forsake, we would not go back We still need that kind of commitment tonight. Somebody said amen. Gethsemane finds out if we are more interested in our rights than what is right. Hmm. You see, we're so caught up in the world we live in demanding our rights. And if people don't give us our rights... We can throw some kind of fit. You don't believe me. Some of you just nod your gossiping. I mean, you're not your gossiping head. Your gospel head. Let me get that word right. April Fool. <clears throat> your gospel head. You're, you're nodding your, 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 your spiritual head. But I know this much about all of us. That if somebody doesn't give you your place in line, Oh, my word. You talk about pitch a fit. I heard we were up at Luby's one day recently, and most of our crew had already gotten in there, and we were late, as usual, getting up there after church. And uh, so we just went around the line and, and went up to where our family was, and I heard a lady behind us say, Well, if I'd have known that, I'd have gone up where our folks were. Like I had committed the unpardonable sin. And I didn't, I didn't want to be rude. I still had enough Holy Ghost from Sunday morning that I didn't want to be rude to her. But I thought, you know what? 
That's you and I in a nutshell. We say that we don't live like that, but the truth is somebody cuts us off in traffic and what happens? We have rights. But Gethsemane, Gethsemane determines whether we are more interested in what is right than my rights. What's right? about him dying for somebody that doesn't deserve he die for them. Did I deserve him dying for me? No. Do you deserve him dying for you? But he did it. There's nothing right about Calvary. There's nothing that you can look at and justify other than the redemption of the soul. But when you look at it with natural eyes, the right was not there. But he said, you know what? It doesn't matter what my rights are. I can lay my life down. I can take it up. But I have committed to something more important than my own rights, and that is doing what's right. Good Lord, that is a message in itself that I need to learn how to live. Not you, but I need to. You you may have already learned that, but I haven't learned that. To come to that place in life where I am more committed to doing right than I am being right. God, help me. I better move on. I'm getting bogged down. You see, Calvary is is impossible without Gethsemane. You cannot produce a Calvary from a Palm Sunday. But you can from a Gethsemane. In a very real sense, Gethsemane pictures the problems of all of our lives. To face the doing of duty that is likely to cost us very dearly, but do it anyway. To to confront some kind of crippling thing and yet not be crippled by it. It is to deal with tragedy that would desolate our lives and yet Deal with it anyway. Saying, if it be possible, but nevertheless, not my will. In many ways, this prayer describes the situation of most of us. For who among us has not prayed to be spared? Oh Lord, please don't don't make me go through this. Please don't let this happen. Am, am I the only one that's ever prayed that recently? Please, God, don't let this. Please, God, stop these people from doing this. Please, God, hear my prayer tonight. Please, God, listen to my plea. Don't turn a deaf ear. If you've ever heard me, God, I need you to hear me tonight. And yet I've walked out of this sanctuary many times recently knowing that that prayer was not going to be answered. You know what? You can get mad. You can get bitter. And I'm not saying that I have not had to deal with those emotions. And I'm not preaching about me tonight. I'm just trying to give an example of what I'm preaching about. 
But you, you can let a lot of things go wrong in your mind during times like that. You, you, you can develop a, I hate to say it, but a loser's limp where every time something bad goes wrong, you start grabbing your elbow. Oh, man, it's an oversidus. Because you don't have to face the reality of what's before you. And I'm that way. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're not. Maybe it's easier for you just to stand up and be a man or woman and say, you know what, I can deal with anything. But the truth is, I have a hard time sometimes facing the reality that God does not always choose to answer my prayers the way I prayed. How many of us have prayed to not have to go through what we've had to go through? But we're going through it. We're there. And some of you, your emotions tonight are so raw and they're so sensitive that just the slightest touch can just send you over the edge. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with feeling those emotions. There's nothing wrong with you as a person for feeling like that. It's just a fact of life and what you are. But how many of us have prayed, God, please take this away from me. Please answer. Please hear me. And yet God chooses to let you live through it rather than take you out of it. Why? Because you're never going to have an Easter sunrise if you don't have a Gethsemane night. Palm Sundays don't produce Calvaries. Palm Sundays don't produce resurrection morning. Only a Gethsemane where we come to grips with the reality that God is ultimately in control of everything we do and everything we are. And whether he answers my prayer the way I want him to answer, I'm still going to do his will. If he answers my prayer and he does what I ask, then that's good. But if he does not, I will still serve him. I will still praise him. I will still love him. I will still worship him. You see, in many ways, we have all prayed the same prayer Jesus prayed. Maybe not in those exact words, but in our own words, we prayed, if it be possible. I don't want this tragedy. I don't want this heartache. I don't want to even think about what's coming down the road. I don't want to think about the next two years of living with this or the next five years or the next ten years. And not wanting those things to come does not change the fact that many times they come. Gethsemane represents to me the unwanted burden. It represents the unwanted problem. It represents the unwanted pain and the unwanted suffering. You see, Gethsemane is about facing life at its grimmest. Gethsemane is about facing people at their worst and yet surviving both. Amen. Praise God. Not only surviving, coming out victorious. Praise God. He may have come into that garden in an agony, but when he came out, he was not in an agony anymore. 
He said, rise, let us be going. Agony had been changed into triumph and victory because somewhere in the midst of that darkness, he was able to wrestle down his own self-desire and say, God, whatever your will for my life is, that is what I am going to do. And even though people are going to be at their worst and time could not be darker, God is still in control of my life. Amen. Oh, the desire to be spared. How many times have I prayed, God, please, please don't let me have to go through this. Spared from pain, spared from problems. And none of us escape that test. None of us. No one escapes. When we have prayed, let this cup pass from me. And it does not pass. And we know it's not going to pass. That we quit praying, let it pass. And we pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. Are there resources within you and I tonight which will rise up in the midst of that darkness and say as Jesus, nevertheless? What a powerful word that is. What a new dimension it adds to life when you can say, not my will, but thine be done. When you can say, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what a new dimension of life it brings. It is the way that we meet the unwanted and the undesired hours of our life that lies the real test and strength of our faith. Amen. It's not found on Sunday. The test of your faith is found on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Amen. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me tonight. Praise God. Here's what I've, I've learned. That if you will talk to God in your darkness, he will bring you out to the light. Amen. If you will talk to God in your darkness, he will give you light. And in the darkness of that Gethsemane, there was a light and a radiance that came to that place that transformed that day. Things become bearable when you know who's leading. And that is not you or I, but Him, our Father, our Lord, our Savior. The word that Jesus used, Abba, was not a word that was commonly used by the Jew to address God. Because the word Abba in the Greek meant daddy. It was speaking of a father in the most personal kind of tone that you could imagine. And no Jew would have ever thought of addressing God in that way. But when Jesus was in the throes of that garden experience, that's the very word that he used. You see, when you understand who's in control of your life, 
You don't get lost with the incidents of life. When you know that I am not lost, I am not out of the will of God, I have not lost my mind, I'm not going crazy, as crazy as life may be right now, God's hand is still on my life. If I did not believe that tonight, I would walk out of this pulpit and never come back. Amen. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying that my life is not in the hand of my enemies. I told you that last week. My life is not in the hands of those who can hurt me. My life is not in the hands of those who hate me. My life is not in the hands of those that talk about me. My life is not in the hands of those that can do me wrong. My life is in the hands of the Almighty God. And when my life is in His hands, it is secure and nothing by any means can destroy that. Amen. Praise God. What a significance a word can make in your life. A word like nevertheless. What a great word to add to your vocabulary. Say it with me. Nevertheless. 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 One word that can transform agony into joy and pain into purpose. The powerful conjunction between the things that we don't want to do and the need to do them. Amen. Praise God. Amen. To do our best until the very last. Amen. Till the very last. When we're called to endure or bear or sacrifice more than we anticipated or wanted to give. When we find God's purpose difficult to understand and God's plan for our life hard to see. And when disappointment wants to tinge our prayers, it's important to have a nevertheless in your life. Amen. Amen. I read the story about a tremendous storm that affected the coast. It was an unusual setting. It was an offshore gale, which means the winds were blowing away from the land rather than to the land. Not only that, there was a tide that was moving out, and so you had tremendous forces that were at work. And in the midst of that storm, a ship, ran aground and wrecked. And immediately the captain of the Coast Guard in the local area ordered the lifeboats to be launched immediately. And one of the crew protested and said, Sir, the wind is offshore and the tide is going out. There is no doubt that we can go out, but we will never be able to come back in with those forces against us. And I love what the captain said. He said, launch the boat. We have to go out, but we don't have to come back. And that was where Jesus was in Gethsemane. He laid it all on the line. You see, the problem with too many people today is we're trying to preserve life rather than give life. We're trying to make sure that we don't hurt too much or suffer too long. And the truth is, in this life, you're not going to get by with either one of those. You cannot live in this world and not be hurt. 
and you're not going to live and not be disappointed. Gee, the, the Word of God said in Job that man was born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Trouble is part and parcel of life. Too many people live only in the Spirit that if all goes well and Palm Sunday meets Palm Sunday, we can serve God and we can worship God. And if everything works out and I get that job and, and my dog obeys me and everybody cows down to me, and they, I'll be faithful, God. I'll do whatever you want to do. But who can be faithful when they're not being spared? That's what I want to be, is faithful when I'm not being spared. When God does not spare me from the pain, I still want to be faithful. I still want to worship. I still want to come to God and praise Him, and I still want to be happy, and I still want to smile. Even amid my tears, I still want to come to church and be excited about being around the people of God. I don't want to come dragging in here in the mully grubs every service and have somebody have to scrape me off the floor and say, Come on, Brother you pick your face up. Come on, Brother you smile a little bit. I want to have something inside of me that no matter what is going on around me or in my family or anywhere else, that I can still enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, that I can be thankful and I can bless his name no matter what is going on in my life. Amen. Praise God. Gethsemane. It's the ultimate test of our faith. It's the ultimate test of our character. It's the test of our loyalty. And the reason you hear me tonight, the reason that we celebrate this week of Easter is because someone met that test and came through victorious. Not because they rode in triumphantly into Jerusalem, but because they walked out of Gethsemane. Anybody can ride in to Jerusalem, but who can walk out of Gethsemane? But if you can ever walk out of Gethsemane, you can make it through Calvary. And you can find an open tomb. When men meet this kind of hour in that kind of spirit, no devil in hell can stop what God is going to do. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and give Him praise right now. Amen. Am I boring anybody yet? What kind of faith in God do we have in which to meet what confronts us is the question. Do we have a fair weather faith? A faith that only operates on Palm Sunday? Or do we have a faith that operates on a dark, dismal Wednesday or Thursday? Life's difficult tests come at the most inopportune time. There are two kinds of faith in this world. One that says if, if all goes well, if life is prosperous, then I will believe and I will serve God. The other kind of faith says though, though the forces of evil triumph and though everything goes wrong, Though Gethsemane comes, nevertheless, nevertheless. 
The question is whether or not we can finish that prayer. Spare me. Spare me. Can you finish that prayer? Because the conclusion of that prayer is nevertheless. If you can make it Wednesday, you can make it through Sunday. Amen. The central test of our lives is whether we can take that step of nevertheless. And I'm closing. There are many through the ages that have had to prove themselves under that kind of challenge. It was Esther who had everything to live for and nothing to die for. Queen in a place of favor with no need to identify with her stricken people. But taking her life into her own hands, she went before the king and these were her words. If I perish, I perish. It was the three Hebrew boys. The music was sounding. It was time to bow down. But they had already made up their mind. The decision to not worship had already been made. And at that point comes the crucial test of their faith. If God does not deliver, then the fire is certain to come. If God does not answer and God does not come through, they are going to burn. And so they said, we know that he can. We even believe he will. But if not, be it known unto you, we will not bow. God, help me to have that kind of faith. Fireproof faith. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. That's fireproof faith. I don't care what the devil throws at you. When you can pray that kind of prayer and you can live in that kind of attitude, there's not enough demons in hell to tear you down. Amen. I don't need Jacob's religion. I want you to listen to Jacob's religion. You want to hear Jacob's religion? Genesis chapter 28 verse 20. He said, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. That is a bargaining faith. That is a fair weather faith that says, God, I'm going to trust you as long as you answer all my prayers. I'm going to trust you as long as you come through when I need you to come through. I don't need Jacob's religion. I need Job's religion. Job said, though... He slay me, yet shall I serve him. I need David's religion. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I need David's kind of religion that says, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, they're not going to be able to overwhelm me. I need Habakkuk's religion. Habakkuk looked and listened at what all God was about to do. And when he heard what God was about to do, he literally trembled. 
The Bible said I, I read it again because I, I, I thought it, that's what it said, but I read it again before service to make sure that I wasn't off. But in Habakkuk chapter 3, after Habakkuk had been through all that God was going to do and God had shown him, this is what he said, verse 16. When I heard what God was going to do, he said, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice and rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. And you have to go back and read what he had previously said. He said he was going to come forth and he was going to do great things, strike through with staves the head of the villages and all these things that were going to happen. And when Habakkuk heard that, it made him literally shake down inside. But when he got through shaking, this is what he concluded with. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, and the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, and the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Ah, Lord, have mercy. That's Wednesday's faith. <laughs> oh, yes, that's Wednesday's faith. He said, I will, the Hebrew says, I will shout aloud and dance about. Amen. What kind of faith do I need for troubled times? I don't need a Sunday faith. Please don't misunderstand me. I need a Wednesday kind of faith. I need a Gethsemane kind of faith. That whatever happens, whether God answers my prayer or not, whether he comes through or not, I'm still going to serve it. I'm still going to be faithful. I'm going to still show up for my place of duty. I'm still going to sing. I'm going to clap my hands. I'm going to carry on just like everything was going my way. Amen. Let's stand together.